Welcome to the film room. We have a guest with us today, uh, Mr. Paul Andalina. Hey, Paul. Hi, how's it going? Pretty good. Yourself? Couldn't be better. Good. <laughs> Paul is the first person to take advantage of the Rent the Room Park. Yes. You had the chance to make us watch anything. You could have made us suffer. You could have made us really go through pain. And you were nice to us because you... Finally forced us, we've been batting around trying to get to this in either a mini-sode or some form, but you finally got us to go on ahead and do a full episode on Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we needed to do this. Uh, thank you for forcing our hand. <laughs> well, I didn't get a chance to see it in theaters, so like the day it came out, I went to the family video and I rented it, and then the next day I bought it. <laughs> yeah, it... That's a pretty good review of the quality of this movie. By the way, God bless Family Video for um, for still running uh, after after everything is closed. We have them over here too. I have to make do with the library. On the other hand, on the other hand, I have an awesome library. I just got Justice League Dark from them. Ooh, nice. I can probably watch that tomorrow. So. I've heard good things about that. I have too. I have too. Um, uh, I'm 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 down for anything John Constantine. So. You know, that's uh, that sounds good. But uh, yeah, I think you you pretty much hit the nail on the head with that comment of you rented it and then you bought it. That's pretty much the quality of this movie. Um, yeah, it's uh, uh, it's it's to me what like the way I describe it to people is, OK, you know how episode three, uh, like they try everything they can to just fit it like to slide uh, the ending of that neatly into uh, the original trilogy, and it just kind of feels ham-fisted. <laughs> this is the opposite of that. They slide it neatly against uh, the original, the first film, and it flows. It's like a puzzle piece that actually connects instead of like Revenge of the Sith and you're trying to get it to fit with uh, Star Wars. It feels remarkably like we're it really does feel remarkably like we are truly in the few moments before uh, episode 4 starts it's it's amazing how much this evokes it, it really is how much this evokes the first movie i think that's i, I noted this on the uh, clone wars cast that really has kind of become disney's trademark with handling this material is how much they're trying to absolutely capture that specific vibe of what Star Wars is, Disney is just killing it on this, and 
this is really the one where they knock it out of the park very hard. It's, it's, it's an interesting prequel in that this is the first time that we've had a Star Wars movie in American theaters where none of the major characters are in it except for cameos. True. Yeah. That was kind of a bold, audacious experiment with Disney to see how much would the Star Wars name get people into theaters. You know, because this is the kind of thing you see in comics all the time. You see it in the books all the time. It's a one shot. Yeah. That, that's some of my favorite things is standalone stuff. So same, same. But you don't we haven't ever really seen it in American franchise films before. I mean, when you do see it, it's stuff like The Bourne Legacy, where they didn't intend it to be that, but it became that anyway. But this was kind of a bold experiment by Disney to see, could they extend the brand beyond just doing the series? Um, the answer, of course, is the movie made 500 million dollars at the American box office. Yes, um, it occurred to me watching... Uh, I've never read... A Star Wars novel, but I've heard like a we lot. We both about... read several. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, between you and like just everything I've heard, you know, I I kind of have an idea of what they're like. Uh, watching the movie, I felt like, yeah, this is this is what it would feel like if they filmed one of those Star Wars novels. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's pretty much what this is. Um, they even did a novel about the origins of the Death Star that's now wildly out of canon. So, oh, there you uh, go. What novel was that? It was just Death Star was the name of it. Oh. Uh, needless to say, uh, Galen Erso was not a character that existed yet. So she was created specifically for this, right? Yeah. Well, that's well, Jen. Galen is the 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 father, scientist. and he was too. Oh, right. I mean, pretty pretty much everybody in this movie was. Um, this is one of those, we're going to go full spoilers on this because yes. we're really safely assuming all of you saw it. Again, it made $500 million. And it would be impossible to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And if you haven't seen it, I don't care if you have to, like, run to the nearest store. Run <laughs> yeah. to it and buy this thing. Yes. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, stop this cast right now. Our recommendation is watch it. You're going to enjoy the hell out of it. And come back. And then come back. Um... But yeah, this one, it's its really a very simple plot. How did the Rebels get the Death Star plans? its its It really just is simply filling in that crack of the story. And as a result, it, was, it makes for a great hook for, you know, when you're answering that question, giving us something that has been demanded for years by the fans, which is a Star Wars war movie. Absolutely. War films are my favorite, so... When I finally did watch it, I was like, wow, this is what I've always wanted out of Star Wars. Yeah, this is a Dirty Dozen, Men on a Mission, Star Wars movie. And it's weird how well that fits, those two things fit together. In theory, I could see that feeling very forced. It's not. Mm -mm. It's, it's, it's really a very smooth fit. Uh, Paul, I'm sorry you didn't get to see this on the big screen because I'm telling you, it looked amazing. Albert, did you go IMAX? I went. I, I went. Yeah, IMAX opening day. Uh, I went nice. on the seven, uh, seven o'clock showing on a Thursday. I just went to the. Uh, I just went to the uh, Cinemark, which is the former rave, which you've been to. Oh yeah, yeah. You've taken me there. Uh, yeah. I think we saw Captain America there. Yeah, we saw Captain America there. But but man, th this is this is a big, bloody, brutal Star Wars movie. 
So let's get the obvious spoiler out of the way. Everybody dies. Everyone. (laughs) And how quickly did y'all figure that out, that that was going to be what was going to happen? Well, I had read spoilers online and stuff, so I kind of knew it was going to happen. I figured it out from the moment that they announced this movie. I was like, there's no way if none of these characters have shown up in any of the future movies, right? They have to, and it's just a one-off movie. They have to have all died. I didn't figure it out uh, until the third act when um, I, I I forget the robot's name, but K two five zero K two five zero yeah when he K two up. K2SO or something. Or it's something like that. Yeah, look, fives and S's look alike in my head. (laughs) I just mostly know him as Wash the Asshole Robot. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even realize it was him until like... I I picked up on his voice uh, pretty quickly. And he, for the record, he did the motion capture for it too. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was him him. doing the... Yeah, that's all him. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, he... My feeling about Alan Tudyk is he's a com- he's a chameleon. Like he shows up in well, this he's he has become to Disney what John Ratzenberger has become to Pixar. <laughs> they just they just always have him there as a side character. Sometimes, sometimes even directly referencing it, like they did in, Zoot- in Zootopia. Yes, with the to Quesselton. That's Weaselton. As soon as as soon as he said that line, I was like, "Oh, that's who that is." Yes, yeah, but and it no, was it was. But yeah, as soon as as soon as Watch the Asshole Robot died, uh, I knew that they none of them were gonna make it. It's like, oh, yeah, because well, he's the one you think might actually make it out alive. Yeah, and it's weird because you kind of weirdly accept it in that moment. <laughs> like once you realize yeah. that, it's like, okay, <laughs> as long as they yeah. as long as they do what they set out to do it will be triumphant and this will be it's a it's you wouldn't think a movie where everybody dies uh would be feel good but it's feel good it is feel good um again it's it's the most basic of stories um these characters are a ragtag group of heroes are sent to get the plans and to get them to the rebellion it literally it just doesn't come any simpler of a plot my dad always jokes that it's uh, it's an entire movie to fix one plot hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which yeah, because is that is fine. of course what this is. Yeah. Which is fine because they squeezed a damn good movie out of it. Yeah. They really did. Uh, for the record, the plot hole is that everybody's always joked, why, was the, why did the Death Star have this one little thing that would make it so easy to destroy? You know... You, you could have gone without never explaining that. You could have gone without us ever having to be like, oh, well, that's why that is. They even poked fun of it in episode seven. Mm-hmm. But now they they go on ahead and they go on ahead and explain it, and it's a good explanation. Um, and in the process, you get some. We get to meet some cool characters in the process, and that's that's worth it. It's it, it's entirely plausible because you know I'm sure there were. Uh, you know, you you hear stories of like from World War II about the Nazi scientists who uh, didn't like what they were being forced to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, it's entirely like it, it fits within that war premise. It really does. It, it it really it's it's a movie that's very aware of what it's trying to do. I mean, it. 
I have to point out, of course, uh, quickly that this script, there was a lot made of the fact that this was a very troubled production. The script was in rewrites constantly. The, uh, you know, uh, to the point that uh, the guy that was responsible for some of the rewrites, uh, Mm -hmm. Tony Gilroy, who, Mm -hmm. spoiler for later this year, we're going to be covering a movie he wrote and directed later this year. Really? Yes, we will be, because we will be covering uh, Michael Clayton later this year. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Have you seen that one, Paul? Nope. Mm. Highly recommend it. So Highly good. recommend it. That's, that's why we're doing it, because it, it kind of got a lot like it was... Uh, it was one that kind of fell victim to the... Had a lot of Oscar buzz, but didn't really have much of a life after. Yeah. We're going to try and... We're going to try and give it some life because it's an amazing movie. Yeah. Um, but he was brought in to direct and write some of the reshoots. Hmm. Which, which a lot, and there were a lot of reshoots on this movie, including some very famous scenes in this movie were reshoots. You know what? I don't care. Yeah. Reshoots aren't necessarily a bad thing. There's a lot of movies with reshoots. It's like, it's crazy. Like, if you made a list, it'd be like an encyclopedia. If you made a list, you'd just basically be you just basically be doing every movie ever made more or less. I mean, <laughs> yeah, at this point, they even have it built into you know their their shooting schedule. Yeah, it's like let's set this time aside for reshoots because you know they're gonna, they're gonna be doing them. Yeah, the great William Goldman pointed out once that if a movie doesn't have like extensive refilming. What it means is the studio was spitting it out and they had no faith in it. And, and honestly, it's kind of funny because I'm referencing this movie's production troubles. <laughs> Do you <laughs> see any? Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Did, did, could y'all even tell that there was anything less than a smooth production here? No. No. It, it's really a very airtight film. Um, there are There is one scene in the movie, late in the movie, when you... I could kind of tell that that was an insert shot just done to punch up the film a little bit. Mm-hmm. Which one was that? Vader. Vader, ah. Vader in the hallway. Hmm. Just Which that one I know shot that... or the entire presence of Vader? Well, just that one shot. The entire presence of Vader was always in the film. He was always going to be in it. I imagine so. Yeah, because, I mean, he has to really be in it. This is This is set in a time when he was running things. Of course he's in it. My question is, is he always chilling in that vat? Is like, does he have to do that to stay alive? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Also, did anybody notice where that planet is that he's living? Where his castle is? Is it Mustafar? It's Mustafar. Oh. Oh, my. <laughs> what kind of psychological damage? Oh, sorry. There we go. Train. <laughs> Train. Right on Al- time. <laughs> yeah. Albert. Albert knows that train. That's that's. I have train tracks running right outside my house. Yes, when I visited in uh, November, uh, they warned me. It's like, hey, uh, we have, like the train passes by house. So I'm like, oh, that's okay, because you know, I I also have train outside my apartment. And I hear it all the time. And then yeah. later that evening, rumble, 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 rumble. Like, what the hell is that? Yeah. That's the yeah. Train. You can feel it. You can oh. feel it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but yeah, I have train tracks right down the road from me, so I kind of know the feeling. Yeah, it's. A, I actually dig it. I actually dig it. I'm. I'm actually very comfortable with it. But anyway, getting back to this movie. Okay, so yeah, 
So yeah, so you gotta love that Vader put his plan put his castle on the very planet where he got all of his injuries. My God. That's the kind of thought work that went into this movie. Is not only are we going to include Vader, but we're going to do something cool with him. We're going to actually build his character up just in a brief scene. And then in reshoots, hey, let's have a scene of Vader just murdering the hell out of people. Yes. It's not out of character, so. No. No, it's not out of character. It's definitively in character. Honestly, that might be the most Vader thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Is I think they realized it was like, hey, we have a PG-13 rating here. Mm-hmm. Let's do Vader. Let's do Vader unleashed like we've always wanted him to be because we've never gotten to see Vader as slasher movie villain. We really haven't. <laughs> but we got to see Vader as slasher movie villain in this movie for about a minute, and it is amazing. Yes. Now it makes me want a Vader as slasher movie villain. Though that's kind of what the Star Wars Darth Vader series is. Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend that series. Is that a novel series or comic? Comics. I think it's comics. Comics. Oh, okay. Comics. Really good comics. Good art. Great writing. Vader is portrayed in it as the most evil, vicious monster you would hope to find. I now, love it. Now, this is Marvel era, right? Like, current. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Marvel, current ongoing. It's amazing. Nice. It's what you get when you own both Marvel and Star Wars. You can combine efforts. I'm telling you, Disney's synergy level, Disney's ability to work synergy is off the chain. Um, I have a, though they are doing some comics with another publisher too, IDW. Yes. Disney's going to buy IDW. I know they're going to buy IDW. (laughs) That's coming in the next few weeks. I just, I can sense that's what they're building to is they're going to buy IDW and just own them too. Oh my God. You know, they'll do right by them. (laughs) Yeah. That's the, that's the thing. Again, this movie it really is proof of what Disney owning Star Wars will look like. Again, you have this really good cast of characters. We haven't really even gotten to touch on them yet. Uh, it, it really is. One of the things I love about this movie is that it has a very multicultural cast, but it doesn't make a big deal out of it. Yeah. You got Forrest Whitaker. You got... Um, Diego Luna. Yeah. Mad Mickelson. Mad Mickelson. Can I just stop? Let me pause actually and talk about Mickelson. Was it just me or was it funny that they had to kind of age him up in the in the uh, present day sequences and then age him back down for the flashbacks? (laughs) I noticed that because in the flashbacks, he looks more like he looks now. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I find his entire career arc to be kind of hilarious, honestly. (laughs) Y'all have seen Casino Royale, right? Oh, yeah. I might have. I'm not sure. Okay, because he plays the villain in that, and he is the most asexual, disgusting, creepy guy on Earth. That's actually where I first saw him. Yeah, that that was his first big American film. From then on out, everything that he has done has just basically been pure mimetic sex god in everything else he's done, including Hannibal. Yeah, weirdly enough. You should see the fanboys and fangirls for that kind of stuff. It's I know. It's, I have uh, seen it. It's definitely it's, something. <laughs> it's it's creepy. Uh, I have I have seen the, them. That's why I'm commenting on them. Welcome to the internet. I know. It occurs to me he was probably doing this movie about the same time he was doing Doctor Strange. Actually, like he was probably shooting them at least contiguously, and maybe in some cases simultaneously. 
funny enough, I saw them about a week apart. I saw Force Awakens. I mean, this this one first, Rogue One, and then I saw uh, Doctor Strange. Oh, nice. Doctor, Doctor Strange kicks ass. Oh, I loved it. It's a hell of a double feature. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah. Doctor Strange is like pure Steve Ditko crack. I love it. And these, uh, those also share a composer. Yeah, yeah, because Michael Gio- Giacchino did the music for this. He was a last minute choice, by the way. Yeah, I know. I uh, I was actually listening to Wait Wait Don't Tell Me at uh, work today, and uh, I saw the I saw that he was on an episode, so I decided to listen, and he said that. Uh, he, um, they gave him four and a half weeks. Good Lord, give this... Yeah. Wow. His response This to, doesn't... I know. His response to that was to be a little intimidated, but he said, yes, yeah, somewhere in the back of his mind was the eight-year-old in him that saw the original Star Wars and said, give it to me, give it to me, I know what to do with this, give it to me. And he wasn't... I'm a huge fan of Marshall Industrial Musical music and, like, neoclassical. And you can just tell this is a war film just right from the outset because it's got the kettle drums and everything like that. Well, it's because, yeah, he knows... Giacchino, there's not much more to be said. By the way, he is also the first person ever to score both a Star Wars and Star Trek film in the same year. <laughs> amazing. He's, he's come, to think about it, he's the fir- come to think about it, he's the first person ever to score one of both. It's more than that. He's the first person ever to do one of both. Yeah, and he... Uh... That's awesome. He's also, this is the first one without John Williams. I've always said that uh, Michael Giacchino is basically this generation's John Williams. And then he goes and does a Star Wars movie. It's like, yep, that's what I thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. his music for this is incredible. But oh, yeah. getting back to the cast, yeah, you've got you got him. Again, Diego Luna, I lo- someone pointed this out, and I love this. He, How often do you get to see a Mexican actor unashamedly using their Mexican accent in a movie like this. Mm-hmm. In a, how often do you see a sci-fi movie where there's not only a Mexican actor in there using their natural accent, but they're the second lead of the film? <laughs> yeah, you don't see it often. You don't see it in American cinema almost at all. Right. No, you don't. And 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 man, we're we're we, we need to get on this because we are we cannot waste Luna as a resource. That man is pure charisma. Use him more often, American Studios. Mm-hmm. There's there's literally no excuse not to use this guy in everything you can. He's he's just great here. Um, uh, let's see, you've got him, um, Riz Ahmed uh, from Nightcrawler, which, have either mm. of y'all seen Nightcrawler? Yeah. No, I haven't. You're going to find I don't see a lot of stuff because I'm so shoeholed into my gimmick. Of my website, covering I know. wrestlers and films. Well, here's the beautiful thing, though. You now have you now have a handy list. <laughs> yeah, I do. I really do. Yeah, he was. Because those are my was... primary genres: is foreign films and stuff with wrestlers in them. And like, uh-huh. I don't explore much out of that. <laughs> okay. Well, Nightcrawler is amazing. Jake Gyllenhaal is terrifying in it. Come to think about, it, you know, it's funny. I just mentioned. Um, we mentioned Michael Clayton. Dan Gilroy is Tony Gilroy's brother. Oh. So. Yeah, it's funny that we should link to both of those movies. Uh, we're just staying inside the family. Um, <laughs> oh, oh man, man, do I uh, Nightcrawler? He uh, Ahmed was great in that. There's another guy that he's got to be breaking out as a movie star soon. Who was he in Nightcrawler? But he was Jalen uh, Hall's assistant. Oh, right. Yeah, right. And here he kind of gets to play the squirrely, weasley. You're not sure whose side he's on. 
Imperial defector. You're really not sure until the very end of the movie if he's really on their side or not. Yeah. Um, and I love that. But let's not, let's not, let's not mince any words because there is one, um, actor of color that stands out above all the rest. Man, how long did it take us to get Donnie Yen in an American film where he could just be this badass? Yes. He was, he was one, the, the guardians of the world were my favorite characters in this movie. They are the coolest idea that someone, I can't believe we didn't get this idea until now. The idea of people who worship the force, but aren't Jedi. Yeah. What an amazing idea. Priests of the force, essentially. And what they're able to do without using like physical movements or anything, just by saying the mantra over and over again, just the amount of stuff they're able to do. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And of course, he's playing a blind. He's playing a blind uh, ass kicker in this movie. And the whole concept, there is going to be a novel, by the way, uh, in May on the wills and Mm -hmm. on uh, Chirut. Um, by Greg Rucka, who is um, just a titan. Uh, just a titan, always does amazing work. Uh, I cannot wait for that. Um, Rucka has kind of become Marvel or Star Wars kind of their go-to guy on filling in backstory because he wrote Before the Awakening, the uh, prequel anthology that covered uh, Finn, Poe, and uh, Ray's uh, stories. I'll have to check that Ooh. out because I recently rewatched that as well. Oh, man. Um you read this and you're like, oh, okay, this is the definitive backstories for these characters. Hmm. Yeah, because it catches up with these characters just before the movie starts. And you read it and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is this is it. This is it. This is how this went. <laughs> it's good. It's it's real good. Um, so, so again, so you've got these amazing, amazing uh, actors. But, yeah, getting to, to Yen, man, how badass was he in this movie, though? Just in terms of getting to have some great fight scenes and, you know – Yen grew up in Boston, just to be clear, so it's not like he can't speak English. Right. Okay, American Studios, y'all are trying to get into China right now. I know that. Mm-hmm. They had they had Jing Wen as yes. um, as Bays or Rays, was it? Bays. Bays. And he was in like one of their biggest movies. I think he was in 1911 or whatever, the movie. Yeah. yeah. And, which is the only one that I've seen. But uh, I don't think I've, I'm even familiar with any of Donnie Yen's other work. Oh, Yin is Yin is one of the big megastars in China. You, okay, so American Studios, you guys want to you guys want to get into the Chinese market real easily, this but also how. make some good movies. This is how. Give me a big American action movie with Donnie Yin as the star, and I'm there. Um, yeah, just seriously, there's there's this amazing cast running through this movie, uh, and then you've got um, at the core, you know, you got Nicholson. Um, uh, I liked Jimmy Smith's quick cameo. Yes. I like that they didn't dwell on him too long. It was just, hey, Bail Organa is here. Hey, I'm here. Also, uh, appropriately, uh, it's been, what? Oh, like 11 years since? Um, well, he looks like he has aged appropriately between yeah. the two movies, which yeah, is I, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the appropriate amount of time between movies. He He looks right. I like that this movie didn't, it, it didn't sweep the prequels away. It, it didn't just say, okay... It's like, prequels are canon, here's how we use them. And we even got Mon Mothma from a deleted scene, actually. Hmm. Yeah, the way they handled Mon Mothma was they had actually hired an actress and then deleted her from episode three. 
Oh yeah, that's right. And How much she... did that suck? And she came back for Rogue One. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, because she looks exactly like uh, her in Jedi. Yeah, it was. I just know. The... It's... it's uncanny. It is uncanny. Um, yeah. So it was cool that they did that. It was cool that they did that. Um, I, I don't. I don't want to ignore Felicity Jones as uh, Jen. Uh, she very much falls into this current trend that Star Wars seems to be going for of we like pretty British brunettes. Hmm. Has anybody else noticed this? Yes, I have. Because it's and I'm not faulting them for the actresses that they're casting. Um, I think Daisy Ridley is one of the discoveries on. She's up there with Hugh Jackman in terms of except even more so because she had barely done any work before this in terms of finding someone for a franchise who just instantly breaks out and becomes huge. She's going to become monstrous once star Wars ends. I'm certain of that. She's going to run that industry because she is so amazing as Ray. Oh yes. I can't wait for that episode eight. Oh man. That trailer, that trailer looks so good. I don't, I purposely avoid trailers. So like I'm hoping not to see it until I'm like in the theater about to watch it. I don't blame you there, honestly. It looks like Star Wars Episode Eight. That's all you need to know. Is it's like, yeah, but uh, but you had her. Uh, Amelia Clark is going to be in the Han Solo spinoff. Uh, you know, well, we we know she can we know she can play strong, and we've got that established. Mm-hmm. Got that hard established now. Uh, although it'll be interesting to see her in a major movie without the wig. I had what uh, what is it? Me before you or something? Have you I, seen that? Uh, I no. Not yet. <laughs> Good God, no. Good God, no. Not a I, chance in a... I think Thomas saw that. I saw it. <laughs> I think I own it. I think my mom wanted to own it, so I have That it. is a movie where you're just sitting there going, Hey, you're handsome. You're rich. You've got the love of Daenerys Targaryen. <laughs> you might as well kill yourself. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> What the hell was wrong with that movie? (laughs) My God. Was there nobody at the studio that, were they so blinded by the bestseller list that they were like, "Uh, this movie's premise is horrifying? I am not aware. Yeah. Paul, you can back me up on that. That is the premise of the movie, isn't it? Yeah, basically. Oh my. Black. That's that's my response. That's black. Um. But anyway, getting back getting back to good things. Uh, Jones, she's strong here. I mean, there really isn't a bad performance in this movie, which I, I think I, I will say that uh, director Gareth Edwards, the last time that he did a movie was Godzilla, and he did take some knocks from people for the fact that his character direction isn't always the strongest. Because um, he, he did Godzilla, uh, where it was kind that was kind of the weak part of the movie, and he did. Um, Monsters, where a lot of people pointed out that there was absolutely no chemistry between the main characters who were dating, where the actors were dating at the time and are married now. So go figure. Yeah. So Edward Monsters, I didn't hate it. My, I didn't see it. Um, My wife despised it, though. She loved Godzilla, though. She loved Godzilla. She was there for Godzilla, but Godzilla benefited from having you know Godzilla in it. Right. <laughs> There's only one tiny little nitpick I have about Rogue One, and it's uh, that young Jin and Felicity's Jin, their accents are so wild, widely mm. disproportionate. That is, that that's you're right. 
it is kind of grating um, how different their accents are. You're right. I, I did notice that. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just thought of another actor that I can- absolutely cannot go without. And it's an actor that Amanda really does not like. Ben Mendelsohn as the villain. Right. Yeah. Man. Mendelsohn is one of those actors. Amanda doesn't like him. I love it when the guy shows up and stuff. I love just how slimy and oily and weaselly he is. And I can tell you the first movie that I saw him in where I was like, oh, this guy's really good at this type is The Dark Knight Rises. Who is he in Dark Knight Rises? He's the guy that, he's the uh, guy from Gotham City that's in league with Bane and who winds up meeting a bad end thanks to Bane. Ah, uh, right, yes. Yeah, he gets double-crossed by Catwoman. I keep seeing The Dark Knight Rises listed on uh, lists of uh, sequels that let people down severely. Yeah. I no. didn't have a problem with it. <laughs> I loved it. I liked it too. I, I, thought, I thought it was awesome. I, I thought <laughs> I thought it was an amazing Batman movie. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're yeah. Uh, Mendelssohn is good. Um, let's talk about Tarkin. Let's talk about Tarkin while we're just kicking all this stuff around. Grandma um, Tarkin. Yeah. Yeah. That it took me a second. Like when I, it took me like at least five seconds before I realized what was going on. I was like. Did they, did they get an actor that looks exactly like him? And then it went on for a bit. It's like, no, that's computer generated. Shit. I don't it know. It sounds that exactly like him. It does sound. Cushing had a very distinct voice. He's not that hard to imitate. He had a very distinct voice. Um, you know, of course, and, and it was kind of, of course, you know, he uh, did the horror movies with uh, Christopher Lee back in the day, which is why Lee was in. <laughs> Episode uh, two and three was it was a nod to his dear friend. That makes sense. But I don't know how I feel. I will say that's one of my other nitpicks. I don't know how I feel about this whole using CG to recreate actors. Yeah, it's weird. I I did a paper uh, in college like a while back where that's uh, it was in circa two thousand five where I talked about uh, you know CG like using CG actors to replace you know either aging or dead um, actors and and kind of the weird vacuum that would create in new new actors. And it's been 12 years since I wrote that paper and, you know, that, you know, that kind of hasn't come to fruition. And then I see this, it's like, oh, shit. (laughs) I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things where he, I don't think they could have pulled off the same thing with, a different actor, and certainly if they could, then they would, like they did with, uh, um, um, what's her name? But, I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah. I also don't really know how to feel, uh, other than, they did a good job, there's still a bit of Uncanny Valley, but they did a good job. Yeah. I, th- I think the most effective use of de-aging an actor I've ever seen was in Tron Legacy, where... Mm. <laughs> it was Uncanny Valley, but it was deliberately Uncanny Valley. True. Yeah. That's the only one where it worked for me. Like, I had a hard time with this one. I was like, is is Tarkin CGI? Right. And then yeah. I realized, and I was like, but at first you can't realize it. But then when you start focusing on it and you realize you're like, oh, wow, that's like glaringly <laughs> obvious. Yeah, it really yeah. is pretty obvious CGI. Um, Cause- yeah, we're 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 pretty good at um, knowing a human face when we see one. 
and that's what I think makes the use in Tron Legacy so effective is because it's not a human we're looking at. Yeah, we are looking at a computer program, and 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 it's a computer program mimicking a face that we have tons of footage of in that age, and that's a brilliant decision, uh, and it works there because it also creates a, also that character is the villain. We're not supposed to like them. We're not supposed to feel comfortable with them. Yeah, and every and uh, when you see him de-aged, it's supposed to be him. He's in heavy shadow. Yeah, and it's still and it does not look good. It it yeah. <laughs> it really. Marvel is trying to do it with um. They, you know, when they did that in Civil War, uh, I thought that was pretty flawless. Actually, it was that was actually pretty good. They actually did a good job of getting young Robert Downey Jr. They were smart though. It's quick. It's very quick. Yeah. They don't they don't linger on it all that long, but I don't know. My personal opinion: use a use an actor, use an actor. Yeah. We can accept it. It's a conceit. Um, I will say one thing. I will note, kind of while we have the tangent on CG, is I noticed this last time while I was watching the film that uh, for all of the miscellaneous creatures, like they're not doing like to. I I don't know what species Eberl Akbar is, but the guy that was, you know, his species, the lobster guy. Admiral Radis. Radis, yeah, there you go. Like, I noticed the animation on him felt like, like, he's obviously CG, but they animated him like, like somebody was working him with a puppet. Like, like he was an animatronic puppet, and I thought that was a nice touch, because... Actually, he may not have been CG, is the thing. Really? He may not have been yeah, they used a lot of practical effects on this movie. In, they used a ton of practical effects, including places you wouldn't think they used practical effects. Still a great detail. It is a great detail. In fact, look, this is a great place to stop and divert to talk about what I think is this film's greatest strength is the fact that they did use almost all this was shot on locations, which you can really tell this was shot on locations. The lack of green screen in this movie is blissful. Yes. Oh my god, the worst thing George Lucas fell in love with was green screen. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be fooled. You can often be fooled. It's fascinating how often movies do pull it off. But with this movie, when they're actually out on like the cliffs and such, you can appreciate the detail. Yeah, and I'm sure... Sure, the actors did too. I, it sucks that Peter Jackson kind of went that route too with the Hobbit. Uh, yeah, because yeah, the the famous story, uh, the famous story about Ian McKellen uh, openly weeping on set because he didn't have anything to act against just breaks my heart. <laughs> yeah, you have to have something to act against as an actor, and that I can imagine that's frustrating, especially for someone like McKellen who's a Shakespearean actor. But yeah, in fact, if you look up how they did the dogfights for this movie, go and look up the footage of how they did it. They actually put the actors in pods. <laughs> really? And had them do like um like they put like these amazing video screens around them and yeah. projected the footage so they felt like the actors were in the scenes. Nice. Yeah, I actually did see something on that. I'll have to check that out. I wonder if it's in the behind the scenes on the Blu-ray. Uh, I think that's where I, I think I that's think where I so, saw it yeah. from. Yeah. Wow, is the uh, 
you look at how they did that, it's amazing. The dogfights in this movie, let's let's talk about that. You want to talk about the real strength of this movie? Man, the bet the fight scenes in this movie are amazing. This is a movie that really the battle, the, the final battle sequence in this movie is just one of the all-time. It, it's it's up there for Star Wars. It really it's up there with the first battle, uh, the yet Battle of Yavin Four. That's what that's how good this movie is, or that's how good the, the fight is. Is that Battle of Yavin? I have a feeling we're going to see this battle scene in a best of like battle scenes in war films. Like period. yeah, yeah, it really is. Because it has the it has that's one thing that Edwards is just extremely good at is some people go for intensity and just cut 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 and Edwards goes for these long beautiful shots that you feel ev you know he lets you see what's going on Michael Bay could learn so much from Gareth Edwards yes he has these long just epic shots that sweep and swoop and you can tell what the hell is going on in this movie. How nice was that? It was amazing. Yeah. Not easy for action, especially when uh, you have a few things going on at once. Yeah. This also kind of reminded me a lot of Return of the Jedi with the multi-front war. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the war out in space, the war on the ground, and just how they connect it kind of actually flipped because the um, uh, Return of the Jedi, they're trying to disable the shield generator from down below uh, so it can get through. And now they're trying to disable it from up above so they can get transmission through. Mm-hmm. Huh. It's, it's, an interesting, it's, it's an interesting reversal. And it's the kind of thing that you can only pull off a reversal like that if you're working from stories that have embedded themselves so deeply in people's consciousness that they can subconsciously respond to something like that. Yeah, I did not think of that, though. That's pretty good. And it's a very classic war movie technique of we have to pull off these small steps that will lead to this one big operation. I like it. Again, so much de- death in that last act. Oh, George R. R. Martin eats your heart out. <laughs> yeah. I do kind of love that the movie does end with the main characters so thoroughly like there's no sense of well they might have gotten off the planet no they're on the beach (laughs) they're incinerated no yeah they see it oncoming and they just sit there like it's crazy like would you ever be able to do that like that's like that's a heroic act in of itself it is is. and that's and that's the thing that, that this movie really does underline is the idea of heroism that's really fundamentally what this movie is about because if these characters are going to die, it has to mean something. It has to be for something. It has to. There has to be a reason. And I respect that, and I admire that. And, God, this movie just nails it so hard. I mean, Cassian even says it before the battle on Scarif. Like, he yeah. explicitly says, we've done horrible things. Like, we can't just not fight and have all those things be, like, meaningless. You know? We have to have a reason for why we did that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a big I that's a big idea for this movie. Because because he's right and Cassian, he does some horrible things in this movie. Like Yeah, he does. Like in like what is it the second or third scene when he 
and kills the guy who brings him news. He's like, how many yeah. other people know about this? I don't know. Well, I think you're the only one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it sh- And that's the thing. It underlines that the rebellion didn't have their hands clean. They were still a rebellion. In reality, rebellions get their hands very dirty. So dirty that it's impossible to tell them from the other side. The movie doesn't lie to you. The movie doesn't sugarcoat it. And I respect that. I respect that. But God, the movie pulls it off. It pulls it off so well. Um, there's just, there's so much, there's so much greatness going on in this movie. There really is. Um, the, you know, there's really that sense that, you know, Galen Urso, he's more than willing to die because he knows that no matter what, people are going to die because of his work. Yeah. So that's kind of uh, uh, his atonement. Yeah. There really is that idea um, of atonement, and God, this this is such a satisfying movie. Uh, getting back to the CG, I think they pulled off Carrie Fisher pretty flawlessly. They did, they did. You know, she's only on there very briefly, so I mean, yeah, it's twenty seconds tops. Yeah, and I think I think I see a pattern <laughs> in like CG done well for actors. They were still alive. Like, she was still alive for this. Mm. Uh, Jeff Bridges was still alive for his thing. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yes, Robert Downey Jr., exactly. So, of course, you know, I don't know whether Carrie Fisher did a motion capture for that, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Side note, I'm glad that they have confirmed that Leia will not be in uh, Episode Nine, and if she is, you know, they won't use CGI to bring her back. Good. Let her be yeah just dedicate the dedicate episode eight to her and no not nothing else yes man i just I'm, I'm trying to think of what more i really want to say about this movie that's the thing a movie like this it really it really is an experiment that i don't think we give disney enough cr- oh yeah i thought one thing i want to talk about yeah how wonderful it was to have a droid who wasn't cute in star wars yeah that was, uh, I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was nice to have a droid who's like, I'm a horrible, horrible, horrible asshole, <laughs> and none of you are really going to be able to put up with me, but I'm in this, so deal with me. Right. <laughs> I'm a reprogrammed bad guy. Here I am, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And yet he's still likable. He's he's fun. He's fun. I, I I dug I dug I really did. Um, One of my favorite moments of the film is her shooting uh, the robot, and then he comes out from behind and says, "You did know that was wasn't me, right?" And she just says nothing. She's like, yeah. mm, mm, "Of course." <laughs> yeah. Man, there's just so much fun here. There really is. But I just I, I did love that he's just he's just he's a shit. He's, there's nothing cute about him. I did like, by the way, that just for the hell of it, there's a five-second shot of C-3PO and R2-D2. Oh, yeah. They gotta be there. Why? Because. Because. Because because it's a Star Wars movie, and George Lucas once famously said there couldn't be a Star Wars movie without them. Even though he's not in charge anymore. (laughs) Even though he's not in charge anymore, I still felt like that was kind of a nod to that idea. It was like, well, we can't let this one go without them. Yes. Another character that I was really drawn to was... I, they don't really say his name in the movie. He's the little dwarf-looking dude, uh, Wee Twiff QB or whatever. He's the um, that's actually Warwick Davis. Oh, nice, nice, course. nice! I, who who also has to be in a Star Wars movie? 
he always he just has to be there in some way. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome because Davis is one of those guys. I'm always glad when he shows up and stuff. Uh, I know that he is going to be in Rebels next season. Oh, good. Is Rebels the live action? It's a sequel series to the animated Clone Wars. Oh, Which I heard I... there was going to be a live action Star Wars TV show. Uh, they've talked about it. I think they're more interested in doing CG, uh, CG animation right now. Thing is, they're pulling off in CG animation what they want to pull off in live action, and probably and actually they're pulling off way more because they've got you know they've got infinite budget there. Like they have Obi Wan Kenobi in the new season of uh, Rebels. Mm. Old Obi Wan. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and he he gets to fight someone he's fought one more time. Ooh. Yeah, he gets a rematch. He gets a rematch with Darth Maul. Nice. Good. I'm just going to spoil it. That's a quick fight. <laughs> it's a real quick fight. It's a real quick fight, and you can guess who wins. Of course. But yeah, but, but, but you know, I, that's just it. I feel like they're doing so much with Rebels, uh, which will come to an end after next season, mm. that on their of their own accord, of their own accord, they chose right. to end it there. Okay, that's, that's good. Man, yeah, you're right. There's just so much in this movie to pick apart. I think that's what makes this a classic war movie is that it's just a movie of these wonderful elements flung in. I love that we get the guys from Moss Eisley Cantina just walking through quickly. Yes. <laughs> hey, watch it. And I think he's like the only one that's come in contact with him that he hasn't like tried to tried to beat the crap out of. Like he actually gets held back. Yeah. <laughs> All the other times he's like, "I'm in your face! I'm in your face!" It's it's nice. It's just great that it's just great that that happens. It's just that whole sequence on that planet is just it's great to look at. The I love the reference to the Kyber crystals too. Yeah. See, that's one of the things I love right now about where Star Wars is is they're not throwing out all the books and movies, or not they're not throwing out all the books and comics. They're still making references to them. They're just reworking it because the uh, kyber crystals were from Splinter of the Mind's Eye. And you'd better believe that thing is out of canon now. Well, with its Luke and Leia seeming uh, like oh. at any moment they're going to jump each other. Yeah. Thank God that's gone from canon, though it's actually a good book. It's a really badass book if you ignore if you ignore the obvious fact that George Lucas had not figured something out. Yeah. Even though he said he did. Mm. Splinter of the Mind's Eye is, is a damn good book. If y'all haven't read it, read it. It's. I think I might have. I really, I really loved this movie. I, I this movie is really awesome. Paul, I'm really since we're gonna have to start tightening this up. Is there anything that you want to add? Because I want to give you the chance. You're the guest. It was just almost a near perfect war film. Like even from the beginning shot. Well, not the beginning shot. The one where um he's sweeping over. Where um, the the fields and everything with the grass blowing and everything, it feels like it's the beginning of like a World War One film. Like here's here's the peaceful fields, yeah, and, and it's just ominous. Here's what's going to happen. There's going to be there's going to be death. Exactly. I, I you nailed that. You nailed that. This really probably more than anything else, it feels more like a World War One movie than a World War Two movie. There is kind of that element there. You're right. You touched on um, how, like, nobody's hands are clean in war and everything like that. So that was another big thing. And uh, 
the camaraderie. There's always got to be some sort of camaraderie that you can connect with in a war film, and I felt that was very present in this movie. Yeah, you believe that these Absolutely. people were united. You believe that this was a team that was that they'd come together. It had their differences, but you believe they were coming together. Oh yeah, and everything so satisfying, and everything in the end just goes click, 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 click. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> one right after the other. It is, Albert. Anything you want to add? Yeah, I, I just, I just really, I just really loved it. I thought it was a great experiment, and I'm glad that they're continuing um, um, their side projects with Star Wars. It's a nice solution to. Uh, let's not let's not release one at, like one from the main story every year because that would be oversaturation. But let's let's explore the universe a lot more. Mm-hmm. So there's still one a year, but you know we're not uh, overdoing ourselves. Yeah, I, I like that. I will say, looking forward to the next one. The next one, of course, is Lord and Miller's Star Wars movie. Oh yeah, that's right. With okay, I don't. Who cares anything about the guy that's playing Han? Donald Glover is Lando Calrissian. Yes. Uh, have you seen Hail Caesar? I've not. I know that he's good in that. I know the guy's good in that. Oh yeah, he he uh, he's going to make a great Han. Awesome, awesome. I have. I'll get around to it shortly. I really will. I swear. It's just time, yeah. you know. He he's one of the in that film. He's one of the driving forces. Like he's he's actually the guy who figures out who figures out everything that's happening. Cool. Yeah. So, but but yes. So look forward to that. Cool. I as I said this movie's awesome. So um, well, Paul, man, thank you so much for suggesting this movie. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I hope there's another time. Yeah. We, we always we we keep a good rotating group of guests. We would love to have you on again soon. Oh yeah. Next time we'll dip into your territory. Next time we'll dip into your territory. Right. Um, uh, but you know the rule that we always have is give. Here's your chance to promote yourself. What's your projects and what do you do? I run Wrestling with Film. We have uh, a blog site. It's wrestlingwithfilm.wordpress.com and a Facebook page backslash Wrestling with Film. I cover movies that star wrestlers, no matter how bad, at they could be horrible. I'm gonna watch them, and most of the time I I tend to enjoy them. And I also interview independent wrestlers at events about movies that they have enjoyed and stuff like that. So Awesome. Nice. Awesome. Well, man, that's an awesome project. And uh, where can we find you on uh, Twitter, et cetera? Yeah, Twitter, it's at Scooch Slam. Uh, same thing for Instagram. So, man, thanks for coming on. Thanks for being a patron. Um, yeah. We want to thank all of our patrons. Um, and we get a new one to add uh, this time out. Um, I, of course, Paul, obviously, we're thanking you directly. Yes. But um, thank you, Daisy. Uh, let's see. You have the names. I do. Better yeah. Uh, thank you, Daisy. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you, Bridget. Uh, thank you, Metal Loud, who uh, has also joined us. Thank you, Barack. Uh, thank you, Sean from No Totally. I think that's it. We we have stuff. We have new stuff coming on the Patreon. With uh, by the time that y'all get this, I may have my thoughts on Friends up, and I've got a lot of thoughts on Friends. So, yes, 
there's something to look forward to. And Aloha is trying to talk right now. She's trying to say... <laughs> I don't know She's just waking up. <laughs> Little baby took her nap, but now she's waking up and she's coming online. And y'all, it's been fun and we will uh, talk to y'all later. See you guys. Later. Why does she get a blaster and I don't? What? I know how to use it. That's what I'm afraid of. Give it to me. We're going to Jeddah. That's a war zone. That's not the point of Where'd you get it? I found it. I find that answer vague and unconvincing. Trust goes both ways. You're letting her keep it. Would you like to know the probability of her using it against you? It's high. Let's get going. It's very high.